to Work Out Wonder and the Arsenal podcast. My name is Carl. When we was planning this podcast, we took going to talk about all our new signings. Sadly, that didn't really happen, did it? But I have a wonderful, wonderful panel today. Uh, we're going to start with uh, Ginger Josh. How are you? I'm very happy. Um, I'm here just to annoy people. That's all I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to take my own irritation and just send it out to everybody and i can't wait to hear one of our guests give us the ins and outs of all of the transfer dealings that we did from the journalistic side as well <laughs> i mean we are blessed today josh because we've got podcasting royalty i mean not the prince andrew kind but you know like, the actual allegedly allegedly but we've got actual podcasting royalty i'm going to start off first with it's christopher Carpenter, how the devil are you, Chris? Uh, <clears throat> Carl, I'm good. Uh, first and foremost, I, I am no longer a Christopher. I haven't been for about uh, eight years. So thanks for that. You will address me by my correct name. Um, but Carl, I have a question for you um, before we sort of, you know, commence this evening. Uh, I, was, I was browsing through Twitter earlier on and I see that uh, London tubes are 1.5 million in the hole. You... You want to explain that suitcase that you were caught on camera with last week, or should we move on? Um, I can't confirm or deny my townhouse in New York. Um, <laughs> however, if you'd like to come over, just tweet me, and you know we can get this arranged. Fabulous. And speaking I'll, uh, I'll, of, I'll, I'll slide into your DMs later on about that. <laughs> obviously, and speaking of a man of the world, we are going to talk about a man or introduce a man who is known for our journalistic entities far and wide. It's Simon Collins. How are you, Simon? I'm good. I've just about recovered from um, the wild scenes of deadline day. But uh, I'm sure we'll get onto that. I mean, at least you didn't have to have a dildo in your ear, um, unlike some jokes <laughs> you know, a few years ago. So, Not you know, there are... anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you got a camera in my house? <laughs> um, this is going to be really difficult to kind of kick off with. I guess we have to talk about the, the outs because there was loads of them. Um, Chris, I'll come to you. Um, Trans... Transfer deadline day was a bit of a wet fish for us because there was no ins. But would you say you're happy with the outs that happened? I haven't got much choice, have we? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I suppose there's one big one, isn't there, in terms of the outs? Um, I think we're all upset that Side Kalasanach has finally gone. That's heartbreaking news. But uh, no, in all seriousness, mate, I. I I, I'm kind of intrigued. I think the the problem we've got with this window, with the in terms of the outs, is we aren't really going to know the long term implications of them in, until probably next summer and beyond. Particularly with the Bamiang one, because that's I think Simon will probably have to figures. But I read something like twenty five million quid or something. It will save us in the long run by him uh, generously um, ending his contract or Mikel setting fire to it. One of the two. But uh, yeah, I, I think that's probably the, the big one. Um, we might touch on him in a bit more depth later on. But as for the rest, I think the, I've been quite quiet on on Twitter recently, mainly because I've just been busy with work. But just I've sort of logged in here and there and just kind of caught the temperature of what people feel. And the one I think that most people are a little bit surprised about is Callum Chambers, not because he's a sort of you know first team regular, but 
I think the general consensus is he's a bit more popular than Cedric to, to keep it mildly understated. And he's a probably a player who I think we just assumed would just be around, really. Like, we just couldn't imagine him going anywhere else. I'm pleased for him because I think he's good enough to play at a good level. And I think Villa's probably a, a club that will offer him some game time. So, fair play to him. But I guess the biggest question, and again, this will probably be for the other guys to answer, but the biggest question that I have after looking at these outs is how many more transfer windows, January or, or summer, how many more are we going to go through where we either lose a marquee player on a free or continue to either pay players off or essentially push them out the door, having given them contracts, you know, within the last 18 months, two years, even three years, where we've sort of said that they're going to be key members of the squad. That's the slight concern that we're having to pay people to leave or, or you know, open the door and gently shovel them out as we go. So maybe that's one for the other guys to answer, but... Overall, I think the business out was probably about right. It's trimmed the squad. But, uh, I mean, we are one injury away from us not getting a call-up at this point. I mean, do we have enough players to, um, you know, get rid of on freeze um, or any close that are marquee? I think the next one we see potentially leaving of that kind of heralded big fee coming in is Pepe. Um, but I'm probably going to talk later in the show. I think he's the <laughs> he is the guy we're going to probably hang a lot of our um, hope on for the rest of the season. Um, but Carl, I assume you want to talk about the outgoings still. Um, I was just going to ask Simon um, about yeah. Chambers, sticking with Chambers. <laughs> I mean, when it popped up on Arsenal Twitter feed, I was literally shocked and I may have asked you in our group, Simon, like, did you have any clue of this happening? Like, was there any talk of it happening? Even you said, no, it came literally out of the blue. Yeah, completely, um, completely shocked me. And I heard um, my colleague Sam, who writes for the, for the Telegraph, speaking on a podcast, and I think he's the only person who I've heard who had a few days before it happened, happened, you know, heard things that this was possibly going on, but, a lot of people within the club were sort of shooting it down and saying, no, 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 no. And then bang it, bang, it took place. But I think um, a few people have said that um, that is the way that Villa operate with the, a lot of their deals. If they can, I think Danny Ings was saying in interview, he couldn't even tell his family members about it. So they try and keep it super, super quiet. So that probably explains why it was like that. But that for me, I'm in the same boat as Chris. It's the only outgoing. I can't really understand, um, you know, Klasinac, Mary, um, you know, it's not really playing. I don't think they're going to have an inf- impact. And if you make the top four, Chambers for me, particularly with Tommy Asu, doesn't look like he's fit or sound like he's fit. Um, I think Chambers, when he's going to be going for free in the summer anyway, so the savings aren't going to be that much. Um, I know Arsenal have got a bit of a deal like Spurs have with Deli Alley, where I think they can make sort of two million if he performs well for Villa. But again, such a small amount. Um, I just didn't really understand why he, he didn't stay. In, and when you've lost Mary, he could have been a fourth emergency centre-back if you needed. So that was the one that confused me. The rest of the outgoings, I thought, made sense. Even at Bamiyang, I think the financial savings make sense. Not replacing him, obviously, is a big issue. And we'll get on to what they, we think they should have done with that, who they should have tried to bring in. Um, and maybe Maitland-Niles, you know, could they have done that deal later in the window I don't know. I think he'd been given assurances that he was going to be able to go in January because in the summer he wanted to go and he never got the game time. But 
could you have said to him, look, can you do us two weeks while we get through this midfield crisis? Um, it's difficult because, I, again, I don't know if the Xhaka positive was before he'd flown to Rome, all these sorts of stuff, but those are the only ones that I think you can have question marks about um, and I think could come back to, to buy them. Sorry, Josh, great question. Sorry, Brian, Chris, sorry. Mm. sorry, sorry, Carl. Yeah, just just while I was on the subject. Sorry, do you know anything about the, the, the loan deals, um, in particular the ones that we, to me, it didn't make a lot of sense. So we recalled... Aziz and we recalled Nikolai Moller, 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 um, mm. and there was a third, wasn't there? Uh, oh, John, uh, John Jules, yeah. uh, John Jules, yeah. And yeah. then immediately sent them back out. Was that sort of Arsenal shithousery to say, look, guys, we're trying when we had the whole postponement mm. to almost justify, or was it purely because we looked at all three? I know in Aziz's case, he wasn't getting game time at Portsmouth, but I'm led to believe Moller was getting time in Germany and. John Jules was doing all right. I can't remember the league. Is it league two club he's on loan at? Um, so, yeah, was that Lincoln. A, just a Lincoln? That's the one. Was it a posturing thing, or did they just um, want to freshen it up? I think they were. I think they were generally sorting loans for them. But definitely Aziz was a case. And the issue was with Aziz was he actually came back and got COVID. So um, uh, I don't think he could have. I don't think he would have counted as being available anyway for that Spurs game, which obviously you know got a lot of attention. But um, there was there was there has been an issue with sort of numbers, full stop, um, which is why there was a bit of an outcry when players were leaving. Uh, you know they've taken a lot of young players to Dubai. Jack's gone to Dubai, um, but I think for loans they are pretty proactive now. Um, a in terms of pulling the plug if the player's not getting game time, and B trying to get a model a bit like. Not the same as Chelsea, but you know other clubs where players go on loan and increase their value, um, and it's part of the reason why they sort of scrapped. Other than a few of the loans, I think Mavropanos and Guendouzi, the two where basically will be made permanent, but stopped having these obligations because, um, particularly with Mavropanos, I think it's something like four million pounds, and his value is worth more than that. Um, so a lot of these loans, I think they've scrapped doing that because they've realised like Mary and Maitland-Niles, just send them straight on loan and let the clubs negotiate and try and get a fee for them because it's it's not really worked out in the past where you've just given them a set fee because usually the selling clubs getting the better deal. I mean, we saw it with Willock, that was a perfect example where if you'd said for his loan, he was worth about 10 million and you sold him for 25. So, yeah. Back to you, Carl. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. Um, I was going to ask Josh a question. Was there anyone that sort of surprised you that went out and you didn't think that they would leave? I mean, barring a bamming aside, or maybe you did expect it. Um, no, the only one that I expected were, or didn't expect was, was Chambers. Um, Mari was a little bit surprising, but then when you drop out of all domestic competitions other than the league, I think, you know, the way Arsenal have played some games there's been chances where we look like we'd be knocked out of the league as well. Um, but otherwise I think, yeah, it, everything to me made sense. We were, these players weren't going to get game time. I think um, I had to look through the numbers and other than a Bamiang, I think the rest of the players that left had less than a hundred minutes on average. They played for us in the first half of the season. So yeah, there's the small things about timings. Could we have been, smarter with what we did with Maitland-Niles well sounds like maybe we couldn't you know there's only so much you can push a guy before he just tells you to fuck off 
Um, and I think we're probably at that level with Maitland-Niles. Um, I'm not too worried in terms of cover as well, especially across defence. Um, you know, we've 17 games left. Um, I know there's a convoluted run of events that make it sound all very depressing that you know, if we end up with a lot of injuries and a COVID outbreak, then we have a potential issue. But one of the loans that I think I was kind of hopeful that did fall apart was the one for Reckitt to go out um, on loan. Because I think he's the one that, you know, he's got some international experience now going out to the AFCON with Tunisia. Coming back with that, that's going to be something that I think he should be pushing for the first team. And if we do end up at that problem, then it's an opportunity for him. And I'd much rather be giving the minutes. And I think we all would to a youth player over someone like Pablo Marie. Um, we'd much prefer to see the youngster come in rather than assign somebody who is going to be in six months, Deadwood. I think we would all be in that way. And we'd probably say, why the hell have we got Willian again when we've got, at the time, Saka coming through, Smith Rowe coming through, Patino coming through. There's clearly a system, and I trust what Per Mertesacker is doing in the academy. He's bringing the kids through correctly. And as Chris has said with the loan deals, he's clearly looking at these boys' opportunities and saying, if they're not getting the game time, come back and I'm going to send you somewhere where you're going to get the stuff you need. And even looking at what Saliba's doing at the moment as well, is there does seem to at least be logic behind a lot of the loan deals for the players that are under 22. Um, so, yeah, that's where... I think I'm not that worried and wasn't hugely surprised. I was so surprised that we were so ruthless in what we did and efficient, but it is another needed window where we've cleared a lot of people out that were on big contracts or just weren't bringing anything to the team. And that's what we need to do. We need to just get more efficient and more ruthless. I mean, Simon, I don't know if you've got the numbers, but um, you know, with all the players that we've um, sort of loaned out, We've obviously made a lot of savings and I don't know whether Arsenal are paying some of their wages or part of the wages, but hopefully this goes towards a, the big summer transfer. Do you know the sort of a figure of how much money we've saved? Um, I mean, saved? going back a fair old, you know, if you're going back all the way to um, January this, or this time last year, which is when the sort of clear out began, you know, you're looking at Ozil on 350 grand a week. Kalasnach, 90 grand a week. Mustafi, 100 grand a week. Um, Socrates, yeah, sorry, 90 grand. Then, you know, moving on now to Kalasnach, 100 grand a week. Chambers, 70 grand a week. Abamyang, 250, 300 grand a week. Um, so, you know, you're getting on, you know, towards you pushing sort of, you know, near a million pound a week once all these players have gone, if you add in the likes of Maitland Niles and Mary's wages not being paid. So it does create a huge. Um, you know, savings in terms of wages. And that's something that the club have needed to do anyway. You know, I remember ages ago, uh, Cronky speaking about the Champions League wage budget in a Europa League team. Um, so they've needed to come down. But I do think if you're looking at it positively, um, you need this space in the wage bill to reward the players who you want to reward. And they've got a crop of young players now. Saka, Martinelli, you could probably throw Gabriel in there as well who this summer you sort of want to be looking to tie down to new contracts and these are the guys who need to be your top earners at the clubs not your not your Bamiangs, your Lacazettes, your Ozils. it needs to be these guys so they have 
set themselves up, I think, for a big summer. But the, the scrutiny on the summer now is going to be absolutely huge. Um, when you have a dead window like this one was, um, it does turn all eyes onto it, and they're set up for it. But it's going to be it's going to be a big task, I think, and it's going to be um, a lot of pressure from supporters for them to get it right. I mean, Chris, how difficult do you think it's going to be in the summer? I mean, clearly Arsenal have pinned, you know, all their eggs in one basket for the summer. And there's no this is, there's no guarantee we're going to get it right in the summer. But like Simon said, you know, all the supporters are now thinking, OK, we suffered this January transfer you know, where we didn't go for the players that we need, a midfielder or a striker. Um, and there's going to be a lot of clubs out for a striker uh, in the summer, definitely. So how does the calibre of player we get depend on where we finish in the league this season? Oh, wow, that's a loaded gun. Um, I think I think the thing you touched on there about everyone's going to be looking for a striker, That I guess that's the worry because everybody knows what Arsenal needs right now. We're, we're shopping in a market now where every single club that we go for a forward that's going to know that we need probably, I mean, I would argue we need two forwards, especially if one or, but I mean, if, if both Lacaran and Katia go, we could arguably need three, depending on what you're going to do with Martinelli, for example, or if you're going to bring someone through. But um, I think, I think that's the issue you've got. You, you're, you're, you're kind of in a market where everyone's going to be going for players. I think, I think some of the targets that we were looking at over this window were to, to me, just completely ridiculous like and i don't mean that like as a i'm not sort of slagging the club off as such but and i, I don't know i don't have the inside track as as, as many would but the vlajevic thing to me was just a giant waste of time and i can only assume that that their his people and uh the, the negotiations between juventus and fiorentina were kind of chucking arsenal's name in to to get his his price up and and you know seal that deal because if we were genuinely in for him, and I don't just mean, you know, okay, if we made an inquiry, that's fair enough. Like you've got to inquire for these big players, I get that. But if we genuinely spent the best part of two and a half weeks trying to convince a player to join Arsenal, uh, for me, he's not the right player. And that's not a slight on Vlaovic because he he made it clear from day one he wanted to stay in Italy. That's not that's nothing against the player. But you you know we're 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 Arsenal. Like we shouldn't be convincing players to come to us. You, you convince a player to join a project, sure. You might have to convince a young player to come aboard, um, you know, to, to buy into this sort of the Arteta idea of the young players and and it might take three years, etc. But if you're going for a marquee striker, that let's be honest, you, you are essentially saying you're handing the keys. The next striker that comes into Arsenal, you are handing the keys of goal scoring to this club. And you're saying to, to that player that you bring in, you are a man. You're the guy we're going to rely on and we're going to build the team around you. Um, that's my doorbell, sorry. I don't think it's for me. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're, we're building we're building for the future and, and teams are going to know that. So the price is going to go up. People were talking about Jonathan David in this transfer window and saying, oh, you know, could we go for him? Yeah, absolutely. We could. But you're not going to get him out of Lille for anything short of 50 million quid. As Simon about uh, Sven Botman, for example, at Lille. You know, he's rated as a twenty-five million pound centre half. Newcastle made an inquiry, and he was—they were quoted sixty. So, you know, that just tells you that any club that's worth its salt, like like a Lille or like anyone really who's selling a striker, they, they're going to up the price. And like you said, Carl, it's it's a massive summer ahead for us because 
we've got a lot of work to do. We still we're still a midfielder short, arguably two. Again, I you know, I'll keep my thoughts about certain Mister G Jacka to myself, <laughs> but you know there, there's a, there's room for improvement there. Arguably, we might need another backup fullback now, depending on what happens with like Hector, for example. So there's a lot of work to do, um, and I don't think I don't think clubs are going to get us give us anyone cheap. So lots of work to do, and and a, and a, we need a clear strategy because we can't just go into into August going well. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I think it looks like um, from perspective of where we're left is there's four big players we need to bring in in the summer, which is similar to what we saw last summer where we basically had to bring in an entire new spine of the team um well we didn't know we needed to but once we saw the players come in it was wholly apparent that a new spine was what was required um carl i'm thinking that we you know as chris has mentioned there's two strikers probably there and i think we're looking the same for midfield um we've done a bit of business a little bit early i don't know um I know from uh, the goalkeeper we signed, he's probably just going to come straight in to replace uh, Leno, who goes out. But Sai, do you know if there's anything on um, Trusty? Are we seeing him as an actual, you know, kind of Pablo Marie replacement, you know, third or fourth choice centre back? Or uh, I don't think so. I think he is uh, possibly long term, but I think. Um, club are quite clear in the statement they put out that he is going to um, go back on loan obviously for the till the summer and then next season they're going to try and find him a European club um, to get some experience as well so maybe after that loan he comes in um, I'm intrigued to see what happens not just with him but with that sort of partnership that KSE have there we've not we've never really seen them do that before where they've um, you know moved players between clubs a bit like City do um, in the City group. So whether we're going to see a bit more of a link between the clubs and maybe more some young players from MLS come over, vice versa, I don't know. But I think in the, in the short term, um, he's not someone who's going to be pushing the first team. And I know that I noticed the club didn't tweet it out. I don't know whether that was because they were aware it was deadline day. There were three hours to go and announcing you're signing uh, a young centre-back probably isn't the best thing to do on <laughs> Arsenal Twitter. So maybe that was why. But I do, yeah, I don't think he's one for the, for, the, for the right now. I mean, speaking about the players that we got on loan, so I'm going to ask you and Josh uh, and Chris this question. Of all the players we have on loan, how many do you think will be able to come back in and coming to the first team, I mean, it's a bit of a loaded question because we know the problems with um, that's a long Saliba. List. I, I know we have so many players <laughs> that I know, and you know, I think we can all know that Guendouzi is not going to come back, and Lucas Torreira is definitely probably not going to come back. Probably not even Hector Bellerin is going to be able to come back in the squad. But of the list that's on the screen, on that obviously people listening uh, can't see, but I'll go for Chris and Josh. Um, how many of those do you think will be able to come back in or even will come back into Arteta's plans next season? Josh, you um, take this first and I'll come in after you. If you yeah, like. I would say basically anybody that wasn't loaned out that we would call in the under-23s, the only one that I would say is coming back is Saliba. Everyone else has either got um, you know deals to stay at their current incumbent club 
um, or there just isn't really a future for them. I can't see us bringing Maitland-Niles back and him being reintegrated into this side. Um, it's clear his head hasn't been at Arsenal um, for a while and Arteta's clearly on the fence about him. He's kind of... His um, you know, ability to play in multiple positions has kind of held him back and kind of kept him on the bench because he can play in those multiple positions. But Chris... Um, I think, yeah, other than we, I probably think Balogun goes back out on loan and I don't necessarily consider him for first team. Um, is there anyone other than Saliba that you think comes back? I, th- I think Balogun does come back, you know. I, I think I think he's, he's the only, he's the only striker left. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. And and I think we all I think we all agree that Nketiah will go one way or the other, whether it's on a free or... Well, it's actually it's only on a free now, isn't it? Unless they persuade him to sign a contract between now and the end of the season and then get a fee for him, which has happened before. But I think we agree he goes. Uh, I, I do. It does sort of make me chuckle slightly, and Simon might know but more than I do, but it does make me chuckle a little bit that everyone's just assumed that, that Lacazette's gone on a free. And don't get me wrong, I, I think that's very much the angle we're going at here, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if, if there was a, a six-month or year extension chucked on it um, you know, in, in the interim period. And I know it would make a lot of people unhappy and et cetera and so on. From from our, from our perspective, or from his pers- his perspective, the difference in how he's conducting himself as opposed to some other forwards, uh, in terms of his attitude and his work rate. You you look at the, the, the sort of the pictures of Dubai that he's he's very front and center. He's still very well liked. He's still putting everything into the into the the, the club that he has. And yeah, okay, yeah, I know he's missed a few chances, and I know a lot of people got on his back over the Burnley game, but there's a lot on his shoulders now. Not just as a striker, but as a guy who would, who's going to carry that forward line, whether it be as the focal point or whether it be as the link striker between now and the end of the season. And for me, um, if he wants to go on a free at the end of the season, and, and I know that he is, he's definitely attracting the interest of his his former club at, at Leon as well as a couple of other French sides in in the summer. If he wants to go, then absolutely fair enough, and and that that's you know no issues there whatsoever. But if you are going to let a player of him go, you can't just go full Arteta project in terms of, you know, no experience at all. You are going to need some form of experience. So I wouldn't be surprised if we, if we brought back uh, Balogun as the, the young sort of prodigy striker, then bring in the main guy, whomever that may be. But that main guy might not necessarily be a quote unquote youngster. Like I said earlier, I feel like we're going to bring in a, sort of not a finished article, but somebody who might be 25, 26, who's got, you know, his good years ahead of him, um, but isn't necessarily old, but also isn't necessarily young, has a little bit of experience under his belt, which for the record, Vlajevic wouldn't have been because he's only really had, what, two seasons at the top level or two very good seasons at the top level anyway. So I wouldn't be surprised if we brought Bellingham back. Saliba is, is the big one. And obviously there's ongoing questions. I mean, Again, so you know, might know more from an Arsenal perspective than I do from a from a French perspective. Um, Saliba is is playing a very very clever game, I think, because every interview he does in France, he all he talks about is his love for uh, for the current Marseille setup, um, his desire to improve. Um, you know, he never fails to to mention that he has a contract with Arsenal. You know, he he's he's being very very clever. He's keeping his stock high, and from his point of view. And again, it's it's not an, you know it's not a sort of an anti Arteta thing here, but the way he was misled, I think it's fair to say, over his future, 
he's all he's done is gone away. He's he's got the move that he wanted, i.e., he wanted to go back to France and fair play to him. He, he stuck his his neck out and said, "No, I want the move here. I don't want to play in the Premier League," and that's fair enough for me. And he's played very well. And I think my concern really with the Sleeper deal is uh, we. I think we'll quite happily take him back. I'm not a hundred percent sure that he's quite as ready to come back. And I think if let's let's be real, Marseille can't afford him. And if they could, they would have tried to buy him in January because they have a transfer ban in uh, May coming up. The suggestion is through Cass that will get overturned. So the likelihood of Marseille having it's like the Chelsea ban. You know, there'll be some some fuckery and something will happen. They'll probably get away with it. But even without a transfer ban. Marseille would have to stump up an awful lot of money, I think, for him, and they haven't got it. They're trying to move players on. So, and the only other the clubs that could afford him are our clubs in leagues he hasn't tested himself in, i.e., probably Italy and, and Spain. So, I think we would we'd quite happily have him back. The only other thing I'd say on Saliba coming back is he is not going to come back to quote unquote fight for his place. He is a player now who who is going to expect to play. And his performances, who, you know, for anyone who's seen him for Marseille, he more than warrants that. And some people will be in my mentions now going, oh, did you see him make a mistake last night? Yeah, I did. Because he's learning and because he's a young centre-half and he takes chances and he and he takes risks. But nine times out of ten this season, he's been absolutely brilliant. So he's not going to come in and be, you know, Ben White's uh, fashion sort of guider around the shops of uh, shops of London or come in to be back up for Gabriel. He's going to come in and he's going to want, want to play. And I know Josh and I had a conversation recently about the idea of him playing as a right-back or a right-sided centre-back who drifts to the right. Yeah, you could see him doing that, but you're not going to drop Tobiasu. So it's, it's one of those, I think, Arsenal, Arsenal's plans are bringing him back. My slight worry is we might be bringing him back to sell him, which I think would be a, a real waste of what he's going to be still, I still think is going to be one of the best young defenders in Europe. I mean, speaking of all the players that we have on loan, if we do manage to sell some of them, we will make a little bit of money. Me, I mean, I know I saw a, a tweet that I think Josh and I put in our group about all the players that we've had and that we've given away for free, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't make a pretty reading, but obviously as, as, People do, they sensationalise the, the bad news. Um, but we have lost a lot of players for free, haven't we, Josh? Yeah, there's a lot from previous regimes um, that have come in, not necessarily the um, Brazilian that is in charge at the moment of uh, yeah of bringing in players. There's a lot from you know, the Meslin Tap, the Raul, the, even some Wenger era players in that list as well. Um, I think... It is always interesting when you put that kind of list together. Um, thinking off the top of my head, you had you know Mkhitaryan, David Luiz, um, who I think David Luiz, you know, we let him go at the end of his contract. I think that's slightly different um, compared to other players that we've let go on free, where we've had to terminate their contracts. We took about Abamyang, uh, Meza Ozil. Um, yeah, I think it's one that's always going to be sensationalised, especially when you don't mention the fact that during the same period of letting some of these players go, we sold Alex Awobi, uh, we sold uh, Willock, we sold um, you know Emmy Martinez, and I think there's some, you know, if you'd said we'd sold Emmy Martinez 
without the injury to Leno and we'd let him go for a free, I think a lot of people wouldn't have batted an eyelid if we'd then got, I don't know, 20 million pounds for uh, Meza Ozil when we got rid of him. Um, it's it's all about just, I think, generally a bit of perspective and to see that a lot of the players we got rid of, there was really no market for them. They didn't really pull up trees during their Arsenal career, uh, certainly towards the last you know, nine to 12 months of that career. I think we can say Aubameyang is probably the only one from there who was still firing on all cylinders just to about a year ago today. Uh, but since signing that mega contract, he did fall off a cliff um, in terms of his performances and his attitude changed as well. Um, this is very interesting when you scroll back to see exactly what happened at um, Dortmund. That's uh, exactly the same. Since he got the kind of, um, I said the captaincy, but was given the big contracts and given all of the freedom that he just then took the uh, took the piss really. Um, Danny's just brought up the exits on there. So yeah, it's a Bamiang, Kalasinic, Ozil, Willian, Chambers, David Luiz, Socrates, Mustafi, and Mkhitaryan. Um, yeah, spent circa two hundred million on them. Got nothing back in return. I mean. They're not really. They're not really players with other than Chambers. Mm. They're not really players with sort of resale value, which I think part part of the issue in the Mm. in the sort of spend there. You're buying players that you know you're not going to when you buy Louise at like 32. You're not going to make any money on him. Um, No, the same as so. I think the model of spending is is better now. A from a you know buying players to let them build in the team, and B buying players who you know will at least retain their value but looking at that loan list um yeah i mean i think lucas Torreira. i think you'd probably get a good good fee for now i think he's been pretty good in italy from everything i've read uh mate Lenars, if he has a good six months i think you'll probably get quite a good fee um balogun i think i agree with um Chris. i think you have to bring him in and play because he, he's probably going to be the only striker there um i think if i think if lacazette would be willing to stay for another year and just give Arsenal a bit of continuity with their strikers, I'm pretty sure the club would would be happy with that. Uh, I get the feeling I don't think he would be happy with that. And um, instead, it would probably, you know, it's been talked, I think Olas today said that Leon want to re-sign him, bring it back to the club. That would make a lot of sense. Um, so the striker situation is going to be really interesting. Saliba as well. Um it, for me, the sleeper situation is, is whether you view it with your glass half full or your glass half empty. Um, it's obviously not been handled very well so far. And he's, you know, been at the club for three years, cost 28 million, not actually played. So, I mean, in, in basic terms, you need to, you need to either sell or renew his contract this summer, really. Um, can't go, can't go into his final year. Um, I find a loan to Marseille an interesting one is because, um, you know, it was reported at the time that Newcastle were trying to sign him. And in the end, Arsenal gave him the decision to go to Marseille. And again, you either look at that positively and say, oh, they're trying to make Saliba happy. You know, they want to, you know, appease him, keep him in a good mood. Or you look at it as of them going, oh, we don't really, we don't really mind where he goes on loan. Just let him go to Marseille. Because if you want him to develop in the Premier League, you should have him at Newcastle. Um there's also the argument where you say, you know, Arteta doesn't like him, he's kept him out of the way, but you could have put the argument forward if you're being positive that 
there's been a lot of um, you know disruption in the dressing room. The defence has come in for a lot of criticism until recently. Would it have been wise for all that pressure to be on Saliba and you know coming in and trying to be the news or Bobby Moore in the back line when there was all this upheaval? Maybe it was best to just keep him to the side and let him develop elsewhere and bring him in when he's actually ready. So it's really interesting. That's the one I'm, I'm going to be very intrigued to see what happens with and the striking situation because I'm, I'm, we can talk about it. But for me, getting a number one striker in January was always going to be difficult. But could you have got your, your number two? Um, and for me, that would have been a player. I think I spoke to Chris about it in one of our WhatsApp groups. Um, Hugo Ekatike was probably my pick who was linked with Newcastle. I think they had a bid accepted and he turned them down. Um, young player I think there's about 20 million was being offered he could probably play out wide through the middle and that's what I'd have for my sort of number two striker is someone who can play a bit like Liverpool with Jota where you can play them with your number one or you can play them on the side whether they're going to do that or not I'm not sure Um, and just chatting to some other people today just uh, you know nothing in the know or ITK or anything but we were sort of saying maybe someone like Dembele at Lyon who's got I think a year left on his summer an ideal sort of number two. Um, intrigued to see what Chris thinks about that, but those were sort of the players that I were wondering. Um, and the Saliba one, I think, is just going to be be so, so interesting because, yeah, like Chris says, how do you tell him after he's been the man for Marseille for 38 league games, um, you're the number three here? I'm not sure how he's going to take that. Mm-hmm. I agree with you, Simon. And, and I, I want—I want to ask you a question, Carl. Actually, if that's right, because um, we haven't—we haven't really touched on the big, the big box marked Aubameyang. So I feel like we should just kind of touch on that while we while we have it on on our lips. Um, when when we signed him all those months ago, whenever it was, that sort of him and Laka came in the same same window, didn't they? And I remember talking to Drew about him friend of the pod and both drew and i were both we both had exactly the same viewpoint uh drew with his experience of when he was at dortmund me with my experience when he was at, at st etienne and we both said if this works it'll be great and it'll be a real fan favorite and it'll be fantastic if this doesn't work it'll end in tears and it's quite weird that we've kind of both been right in in two different ways in the same contract because there were I think it's I think it's fair to say that whatever you think of Aubameyang and you know sure he has his pluses and his minuses in varieties of different ways he he did he has done some fantastic things for us and he did he carried this team for for a good seven to eight months I think it's fair to say we wouldn't have won that FA Cup without him and he managed to drop it bless him so that that has to be taken into consideration you can't look past the fact that when he signed that that contract, his form went off a cliff. Like you just you just can't overlook it. Whether you whether you think there's a motivation issue there or not, it's a fact. Like his form did go, and I know he had malaria and COVID and etc. And I would slightly question with the COVID situation his off the field behaviour and how he got or put himself in those positions, shall we say? But malaria, you know, that's just unfortunate. Um, and he never really found his his form again. But when he left, it was very clear, and I don't, I don't know if it's actually come out since. I've not really been around on social media for a while, but there has to have been something pretty severe for Arteta to to finally cut all ties because he built this team around him and he defended him so many times. And okay, he dropped him for that North London derby, but 
he was his cornerstone. He was his captain. Arteta made him captain, let's not forget. He was his man. So it must have been a bit more than just a few latenesses. There must have been something a bit bit deeper. What question I'd ask you, Carl, is like, how do you like do you look back at him and think this guy's gonna be remembered for years to come? You know, maybe not in, a, in an Henri or a right fashion, but you know, in a, in a heralded figure that we're going to remember for years, or is he just going to go down as, oh, it was great for eighteen months, and then it's all it's all kind of ended in a bit of a whimper, I guess. Is that how you would feel about it? It's a bit like the Alexis Sanchez situation, isn't it? He, he yeah. could have been great, and there's a question in my head that I'm going to say because I want to ask Simon a question. But um, for me. You're right, Chris. <clears throat> there was a period of time where he literally carried us. He was the only person scoring in our team. It was literally almost back to the old on read days, like get the ball to Aubameyang and he will do something. Um, I worry about the team now, but just sticking on Aubameyang, he, you're right. I tend to make him captain. And for me, maybe the old school captains of, you know, the Tony Adams, the John Terry's, that those sort of eras have gone. Captain's maybe just a person who the referee talks to nowadays. You don't get the actual leader. But if you're a leader, if you're the captain, you should be a leader. Lead by example. Arsenal have a lot of young players. So I think about if I if I was a captain, I would be the first person in that dressing room so that when the young players come in, they see me in that dressing room, already changed, ready to go out on the training pitch. I get the impression, and maybe I'm surmising, this is a question I want to ask Simon, that his attitude was all wrong. I mean, Abamming was, what, 32? He doesn't act 32. And maybe that's money. I mean, I'm not saying, like, he shouldn't have a good time. I'm not saying he shouldn't go out and enjoy himself. I'm not. But you never see him being serious. Like, things like, if you're a captain, whenever we lose, he never done interviews. Like, you'd never see him. Only if we won, then you'll see him smiling in front of the camera. The times when we lost City games, you and then he's throwing people like Saka in front of the camera, which for me, that's wrong. Um, it, there wasn't that actually problem there. And again, I, I look back, not that long ago, but to when I was like 31, 32, if I had the same amount of money that he had and he could buy Lamborghinis and do all things like that, would I act the same way? And I think, I don't know. Problem is, it's all about the people you have around you. His brother was not a good influence. No, no matter where Aubameyang went, his brother was there. Aubameyang went to the African Cup of Nations and Aubameyang's brother was on the plane with him. Um, it's almost like... You know, it's like you an elf. Yes yeah, like you had yes men around you. Like, you know, he could do no wrong. Should I buy this? Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Should I go here? That's a great idea. Should I do this? Yeah, that's brilliant. There's, there's no one like reining him in. And I think that was the issue. So when with the, the North London derby game, when he was stuck in traffic, you know, um, he's lived in London long enough to know that London traffic is absolutely horrendous. And I'm assuming, you know, if you're playing a home game, you should be at the grounds two hours before the game, maybe, like, or something along them lines. I mean, and I'm saying this because we don't know what happened. His wife could have felt ill or his kids could have not felt well and he could have had an emergency at home. We're only going on, I guess, the limiting information that we know. But for him, in a North London derby, probably one of the most, if not the most important game of the season, you're playing your rivals at home. I would think Aubameyang would be at that ground maybe three hours early, 
you know, gearing up the players saying, look, guys, we've got to win today. We've got to win today. But he's not. He's stuck in traffic. I, I, I do think Arteta's management of the situation was a bit weird because you're saying to someone, you're late. I'm not going to play you, but I'm going to put you on the bench, which makes no sense. Because if um, Lacazette had got injured in the first minute, you're going to put Aubameyang on the pitch. So that was a little bit maybe inexperienced from Arteta. Who knows? Um, you should have got the tube is what you're saying, Carl. If, if yeah, Obi just got I the tube, if he just got the tube, he'd have been on time. He'd have made it fine. The um, Northern line was running good because he's in Hampstead, doesn't he? And the, trust <laughs> me, it was running good that day. But it's little things, things like that. Like you're meant to be a leader. Like you should sit by, lead by example. And I don't think he does that. And I think Arteta maybe just had one too many times of having to deal with him and it just pissed him off. This is what, and this is the question I want to ask you, Simon. Mm. Was there any rumblings of sort of how bad his attitude was? Or was it literally the Arteta? Because I know Arteta plays a straight back and doesn't really leak that much information out. No, I think um, just firstly on the North London derby, I think, I'm not 100% this, but I think for that game, because of covid um, I don't think you could change who was in the match day squad necessarily. So I think he had to be on the bench. Um, I think was the case, um, but it could have also it might have been that you know first first discrepancy you're on the bench next time out of the squad. But no, from what from my understanding of it and what others have reported is that it was more of an accumulation of of um, breaches, and it was quite telling that the club put in their statement you know the latest disciplinary breach um lateness being ones you know i think there was an instant where um he was uh, missed a covid test for a europa league game or was late for it um and i think the thing with the bamiang is that he was never you know he, he was never supposed to really be captain if you remember the squad had the the vote under emery and jacka was the one who got it and bamiang was one of the vice captains but when jacka was stripped of it um, Bamiang just became captain because he was the next in line for it. And I, and I don't think it's a role that's really ever suited him. I think he is good from his talismanic qualities and the fact that he is, you know, the best, or certainly when he was in 2020, he was the best player in the team and he led them from that way, you know, scoring big goals, cup finals, semi-finals. But in terms of an actual leader, I don't think he is really naturally that and it never really came naturally to him. And it's probably not something he necessarily, you know, really wanted to to be in that side. Um, and, you know, the, the lateness thing has been documented before. Obviously, you know, Drew and Chris were talking about it at Dortmund. You know, Tuchel, Tuchel was saying when he was, you know, he they would tell, sometimes he was sort of tongue-in-cheek a bit, but saying, you know, we would tell Aubameyang the meeting was starting 10 minutes earlier and he would then arrive on time and this sort of thing. So that, there was nothing new with that. Um and I think for Arteta, it just got to the point where, you know, enough was enough and, and he had to to pull the plug on it, which is saying something because their relationship was a really, really good relationship, very close. Um, you know, Arteta was round at Bamiang's house when they were signing all the contracts together. When he signed that big new deal, Arteta was the one pushing for that, personally persuading Bamiang. We saw all the stuff after the cup final, you know, those posts of my manager and Bamiang, as you can probably tell from some of his late night Instagram lives and things runs all his own social medias. He's not one of those players who outsource it. That's him posting those things. So they were really, really close. And I think it just shows probably 
to the rest of the squad, but also to the fans that as much as Arteta, you know, likes players and is close to them, he is ruthless and he will, you know, he will stick to his guns when it comes to his discipline and the way he wants to, you know, set the culture, he will die by that sword. And there will be some people who say, you know, it's good, it's going to cost him. He should have kept a Bamiang six months, might have got into the top four. But I bet you if you asked Arteta whether he would have wanted to row back on his principles and what he believes in or keep a Bamiang in the squad, he would have 100% stuck by his principles because that's the way he is. So um, I think it was really... Sorry, Josh. Yeah, I, just really yeah. quickly, because I know you wanted to speak about it as well. Just really quickly on Aubameyang as well, um, just touching on what Simon said there, two really quick things, actually. The captain thing, we're not all saying you need to have somebody who's going to be a shouter and a raver and all that, but as a manager at any club at any level, you'll, you'll know, Josh, Sai, you'll know, I'm sure you would have experienced this with your job as well, Carl, but even if you just kick about with your mate Sunday League, somebody being late all the time is infuriating. It's so annoying. It just delays everything. It holds everybody up. And even if you are like Josh or Simon and, and I've played Sunday League, if you're the guy who's always having to stick the nets up because that this superstar, or, you know, your your best player is pissed up the night before and arrives at five minutes before kickoff, it does grate you. So as a manager, that must be really annoying. And the other thing as well on the Bamiang is that if you you look at what we've we've all touched on t- tonight, the future is these young players. That's what our test. That is. Here we go. The process. Um, that is what Arteta is is building. He wants young players, rightly or wrongly. He wants to build around the Sackers, the Martinelli's, the Smith Rose. You have to draw a line at some point because otherwise, he's already touched on Smith Rose off the pitch stuff, hasn't he? About his diet and all that. You can't keep bending the rules for players. Um, and this is why I think Shaka should have been gone. But again, I'll leave that one aside. You have to at some point say enough's enough. And if you're going to reward the younger players, it's, you, you almost make a statement by saying, do you know what? I'm going to reward you guys with a Bamiyang's wage because you're the guys, you're the future. And it, I think it's quite telling that and I had a quick glance through Bamiyang's mentions last night. A lot of the players, you know, saying, oh, you know, all the best and wishing him well and all that, which is great. But there hasn't been a huge amount coming out of the camp about him being missed do you know what i mean and i'm not expecting people to come out and say oh mm. god you know saka all in tears on instagram i can't mm. believe you've gone but there hasn't been a huge amount you know and even from i know it's lacazette hadn't been hadn't sort of commented mm. on his post and we know how close they are and i thought that was just quite telling so what's your thoughts josh yeah i was gonna say as the um the general KSE stand, uh, well, stand or fanboy, um, in my in my Rams hoodie today, just to wind everybody up. Um, but no, it's a big thing from KSE as well, and what they do with all of their. I'm going to say franchise because it's franchise. A lot of their clubs are franchises, not necessarily Arsenal, but it's the best way to describe the collective. Um, is the importance of the harmony within the dressing room. Now, we know that Josh Kroenke has never been a top-level sportsman, but, you know, played through um, basketball, played football, understands the dressing room. It's a big thing about that um, LA Rams dressing room is making sure the harmony was right. So clearing out all the people that weren't necessarily uh, bringing the goods, um, as Carl's got in his... um, screen name today it's all about vibes it's all about <laughs> having that harmony in in the dressing room and you can see just last january when we got rid of as quoted by danny or dubbed by danny the bundesliga bastards 
Look how free that squad looked in January when we cleared out all the negativity from that dressing room. Although we may say we're missing a top quality player, look how the rest of that team stepped up and looked like they started to enjoy their football when, and yeah, goodbye to my mentions, when Meza Ozil left. Yeah, he was a top quality player for us and could have offered us things on the pitch, but look how Smith Rowe stepped up. Look how Saka stepped up. They've all pulled together. Even Pepe, because uh, again, it's going to be an argument I'm going to use. He scored seven goals after February, after Ozil left, and he had that option coming into the team. That's the kind of numbers we would have wanted from a striker that joins in January is seven goals in 17 games. And that's what we saw from Nicolai Pepe last season. So I think that's one thing that when the Amazon documentary comes out, and I think every time it will go to a talking headshot and there'll be a member of KSE there, they will be talking about harmony in the dressing room and they will hammer it home. And I imagine that Arteta will be saying the same thing as well. I mean, I agree. I think, you know, like everyone in their workplace, a happy workplace is a more productive workplace. If you went to work every day and you saw thought to yourself, oh God, I've got to go into work today and I hate my manager and I hate my work colleagues. You're not going to give your 100%. You're not going to give your full output, whether you're playing football for 90 minutes or whether you're working a nine to five. There is no difference, I guess, in that. Um, <laughs> I, I don't want to even use this because I hate it, but it is a very long process, a very long process. And Arteta maybe now has got all the players out that he wants and now he can say, right, I can start building. I can start doing the things that I want. Whether that's achievable with this squad, who knows? I mean, Simon, there was a report that Arteta flew to America to meet with um, the Cronkies. Um, if that's true, one, that's why did he go? Was it just a, a hello meeting? Or was it a meeting to say, look, we need some money to buy players? He went to the hockey, didn't he? Mm. Yeah, I think he just really wanted to go see a game of uh, game of hockey. No, um, now the word, um, well, the, the understanding that the, the sort of club was saying was that it had been pre-planned, which um, makes sense to be fair because it's the first sort of break in the calendar they've had um, for quite a while, actually, uh, and he hasn't really seen Stan in person possibly since probably at some points during COVID, but certainly not as often as they would. Josh, to be fair, um, I think everyone's noticed, uh, is much more um, involved in the running of Arsenal, much more present. Um, but certainly so in terms of seeing Stan, I think Arteta hadn't seen that. So it was an opportunity to see him and going to be racking up the air miles seeing as he flew there and then to Dubai and then there's obviously going to be back to London. But um, I imagine that there would have been uh, a number of things spoken about not least you would have thought the Abamyang situation given wasn't too long ago, 16 months ago that Stan sanctioned a pretty big contract for him. Um, possibly also the transfer spend and possibly Arteta's contract as well. Um, because those are things that are going to need sorting. Um, and, you know, we're, we're all talking about it being a huge summer and things to get done, but it's also going to be Arteta with one year left on his contract. And if you're Stan, are you going to say, you know, here's another 120 million quid if you're not convinced he's the right person, which uh, to be fair, I think they are very convinced that Arteta is the right person. Um, I think getting rid of, getting rid of a Bamiang is 
about as clear a signal as you can give that this is a long-term project under Arteta because you could have a you could have loaned Aubameyang for six months and then you know thought well we might the you know, Arteta might be gone in the summer and then Aubameyang can come back from his loan the new manager might want him but you've you've cleared him out the door completely completely gone from the situation which means he's not going to be there in the summer if you did get a new manager and also he's not there to make an assault for the Champions League this season which makes you think no we're building something longer here so they really are thinking long term uh, with Arteta in my opinion and everything we're seeing there in terms of changing the culture dates back towards those last days of anger where players were indulged too much the discipline slipped um and what I think Josh is right there in terms of you know having a harmonious group. It is um, it's a very small squad now, so it's going to be a very tight knit group. And they basically got I think it's seventeen games, tight small squad. And perhaps this was Arteta's thinking. Look, you know we've got a really tight run here. We've got one game a week. Let's just get the real small group. Get everyone on the same page. No one there is not going to be playing. Let's just go for it and and have a push at it. I mean, yeah, I agree with you. I think um, it is a very small squad, but I think one game a week, hopefully we can stay injury-free. And if you've got this squad and it's almost like the rotation won't be that much. I mean, you think about these, the striker situation, it is either going to be Enketia or it's going to be Lacazette. Uh, Josh put something in our group the other day, which made me think, that wouldn't it be surprised if you see Pepe playing up front. I mean, Chris, you you obviously saw Pepe play up front when he was um, in France. I mean, we say this, but we've never seen him play up front under Arteta in the whole time he's been there. But do you think he could do a job, Chris? Hmm. I do. I don't think Mikel does. Uh, <laughs> that's that's the problem. The, the issue you've got with Pepe is is he's a uh, you know he's a he's a unique talent and he's. Um, He's an inconsistent. He's an inconsistent, uh, flamboyant genius at times. I think that's how I would go with him. He he doesn't. The one thing that Pepe gives you is unpredictability and chaos. Two things that I can I cannot think of two words that Mikel Arteta would like less than inconsistency and chaos alongside Matteo and Ganduzi. But um, yeah, I, I just I just think he represents everything that Mikel isn't keen on, and 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 this is not. You know, and that and that can change. You know, I think the the one thing you you have you have to give, even even I will will say, you have to give Arteta credit for is whilst he whilst I do think he's a very clever speaker and and he, and he is a little bit of a politician in some of the answers he gives. I think that's I think that's a front to the camera. I think behind the scenes, away from Amazon, I should stress, I do think that he does self reflect quite well, and I do think that he takes time out to to look at himself as a manager. Um, I, I really, really wish he wasn't friends with Pep Guardiola because I just wish he would break away from that sort of uh, micromanagement element of it. But I do think he is quite self-reflective and I do think he's a manager who who wants to improve. And and let's be fair, you know, you look at managers you know, who've come and gone and, and you know, had their big shot at a, a big club and it's not worked out. This is his big job. This is his big opportunity. If he fails here... He's going to struggle to get any sort of size to a club of Arsenal, you know, in the future. So he's got to get this right. And I think to his to his credit, he does seem to learn from some mistakes. And I think in terms of players, he's still got a bit to go. He's still got a bit of, uh, you know, self, self-reflection to work on in, in how he manages individual talents and, and whatnot. But I, I do think Pepe can offer something. The other slight issue I've got maybe is Mikel is very... 
he's very loyal to players that he brought in or players that he has gone for, not necessarily players that were there before him. It's not to say he won't give opportunities to players, he will, but he's he's definitely more loyal to those players that he brought in himself. And I just think with Pepe, there is some sort of, you know, some suggestion that is off the pitch. Life isn't, again, isn't the best. Um, I think you could level that on most modern day footballers, if I'm honest. But I, I just think that if you're looking for a player, whether it be to come off the bench or, or whether, or, you know, or to start a game and have a bit of chaos, he's there. I, I think if I had the choice, though, I would be more inclined to move Martinelli through the middle and and then bring Pepe back into the side as the player that he is, the wide forward, and give him the luxury of having a Smith Rowe or a Saka on the opposite side and just saying to those two or Odegaard, whoever it be, just saying, right, you guys, just rotate. You know, you three, you three just rotate. We'll play Martinelli as the, as the focal point, as the nine, because what does Martinelli give you that no other player, I think, in that Arsenal forward line, including Smith Rowe and Saka, and I love them both dearly, Martinelli gives you balls to the wall work rate. Saka fades out of games. He just does. Like People don't like to hear that, but he does fade out of games sometimes. I'm not saying he doesn't work hard. He does, but he fades out of games. And Smith-Rowe at the moment, fitness-wise, he's not He's not quite there. And I think he fades out of games as well, particularly later on in game. Martinelli will run and run and run. And he's like that puppy with a dog. Uh, puppy with a dog? No, puppy with a bone or a ball. He'll just keep running and running and running. And he'll close down goalkeepers. There was that sly little foul on, who was it, the last game where he shoved somebody over? Was it the Liverpool keeper? Uh, like an old-fashioned yeah. 70s challenge. I love that about him. He doesn't let anyone sleep. Uh, Pepe isn't going to give you that. So if you want your centre-forward to work hard, yes, he just isn't your man, is he? Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. But I'd love to see it because just look at the Ivory Coast games. You, when you've got a coach who has faith in him, who puts him on the pitch and just says, go and do your thing. The biggest thing I noticed about that the Pepe with Ivory Coast is the smiles back. He looks miserable at Arsenal. <laughs> he really does. And I just hope that he gets an opportunity. And if it doesn't work out, fine. You know, as I say, as much as as much as I admire him and I like him as a player, and I'm frustrated that we've never seen the Lille Pepe because he's never had the opportunity to show what he what he did there in the right role at Arsenal. If it doesn't work out, fine. You cut your losses, you sell him in, in the summer, probably for about 25 million, because that's all you get, and you move on. But give him the opportunity, give him the chance to fail or the chance to succeed, and then you you weigh it up after that. Yeah, I think that's what happened in um, the back end of last season um, with Pepe's turn in form. It was that before, I think in total, he only had 10 goals in the league you know, from the first half of the season and then just tore it up in that second half. And yeah, the more I've reflected on the statement, does Pepe go striker, the more I kind of thought actually as Chris has just mentioned about Saka and Smith Rowe, um, not necessarily having the engine that, um, and add another one in Martin Odegaard, he can run for days. He's been such an incredible athlete. You could tell immediately when he'd had COVID, when he'd come back, because he just clearly was not at the same level that he was before. Um, what I love about what Pepe can do, uh, rather than what he can't do and the frustrations that Nicola Pepe has, is he's one of those players from the three that we've got that would play behind the striker that enjoys taking a shot from long range. You know, when everybody is back up against the wall, I've had the um, misfortune of watching um, Ziyech um, in a couple of back-to-back games, uh, one down at the Amex and the other, um, I can't remember where the other game was, where he scored in back-to-back games. It was basically defence sitting really deep 
And the only time that he, he got that goal was because he was the only player that wanted to take an opportunity from outside the box and they both resulted in goals. Great technique. And I was like, that's what Pepe does for Arsenal or can do for Arsenal. There's no one else in the squad that really does that at the moment. Saka still trying to find what he does as a as a winger, an inverted winger. You don't really see him taking pot shots from outside you know, the 18-yard box. Uh, he's more looking for the creative aspect of it again smith Rowe, he's more of you know almost like getting in the way of eddie and ketia as he charges in to kind of tap in at the back posts uh, and we've seen odegaard do it but it's not necessarily an odegaard's game that's what i want to see from pepe if he's coming in it's that because we're just stuck and the manager just goes to him and if you saw the goals that he scored at afcon as well they're all he's lining up where he's taking his shot from outside the box he may get into the box when he then had his shot, but he's already made his mind up at that point. It's a deep line because they know I'm quick. I've got plenty of space to pick my opportunity and just bend it into the top corner. And that's where I think there's that opportunity. And whilst we don't like to see Saka coming off the pitch because, you know, one of our own, there is that opportunity for Pepe to come in. And I think we can see that with all of the rotation that, um, you know, I know we're talking about it's going to be 17 games until the rest of the season. I expect some doubled up game weeks because of other teams' commitments that whilst we may have a free weekend every so often, you know, FA Cups, um, I think League Cup, I think it's already sorted now, but we've still got, I think, a Chelsea fixture to fit in somewhere in the calendar as well with them being off at the um, uh, Club World Cup now. So I think there is that opportunity that, a midweek game that Pepe can start that, especially if he shows the quality that I think he's got in him as well. Um, now I can say that and also say, do I think he should be at the club next season and say no, but that's because I've got the privilege of being an Arsenal fan and being able to jump of which side of the fence I want to at any <laughs> opportune moment. Uh, but yeah, Carl, back to you as well. I mean, I, I kind of agree with you. I think, if you saw just before the break, Saka was tired. Like he was literally running to the ground. And I think there's an opportunity not to do that again. Surely, I hope that Arteta has learned by his mistake. And, you know, sometimes you are going to have to maybe not start Saka, start Pepe, give him a chance to see what he can do. Like you said, I think, because looking at the table, I think something like Burnley's got like five games in, four games in hand, I think, or something like that. So there's going to be a lot of times where, like you said, think teams will be playing maybe two or three games a week. You're going to see like a, a Sunday, Tuesday, Saturday or something along them lines because as best of, to the best of my knowledge, those games still haven't been put back into the fixture list to say when they're going to be played. So that's going to be difficult and interesting to say the least. I'm going to wrap up quickly because I just want to um, get the questions done. But Simon... Um, I'm not going to ask you for names because I, I don't think anyone knows any names at the moment, but the summer, like you said, it's going to be a very interesting um, time. Do you think Arsenal get their business done early? Um, <laughs> I mean, they'll want to do it early. I think it will, it will help this summer that... Um, there's obviously no major tournament and the league season is starting earlier. So I think there'll be a greater incentive for clubs um, to get things done earlier. I know with um, certainly with Ramsdale, um, he was one Arsenal were looking at 
before the Euros and then um, basically said to him, look, don't worry, um, while the tournament's going on, leave it, we'll sort it out afterwards. So they won't have things like that going on. Um, but it's 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 going to be difficult, I think, as much as they want to do things early, um, when you're going for big marquee um, players, which I think they will be, um, they might come up with some challenges, but... The, the two areas for me that I think, well, I've three, I think they need to make three, maybe four signings depending who's going. I think you definitely need uh, two strikers, a midfielder, and um, if you can find someone who's willing to take uh, Cedric Suarez, you could do with another right back. Um, so, I mean, most of the business last summer was done other than Tommy Asu was done fairly, fairly swiftly, as swiftly as could be. So just have to be a wait and see, but um, let's hope if it runs late, it's a better deadline day than this January, which, um, won't, be, which won't be hard. But Just quickly to all of you as well, do you think the World Cup will have a bearing on the players? I mean, obviously, if you're going to the World Cup, you're, you're going to want to, or if you're on the cusp of making your international squad for the World Cup, you're going to want to pick a team where you're going to play every single game because, as you said, the World Cup's going to approach very, very quickly because it starts in November, I believe. So I'll go to you first, Chris. Do you think that is a bearing on what players uh, pick or what clubs yeah. players pick? Yeah, no, and not, not just in terms of the... Um, the players like they're in form because you always get that one, you know, that Hamas Rodriguez type of player that, that has a really good World Cup and someone signs him for 40 million and he just disappears in a year. But no, even even negotiating with players, not just ju- so you're you're adding two stumbling blocks, you're putting a World Cup in and it's notoriously difficult to get players to get deals done for players during tournaments. But not only that, a normal World Cup. You have the World Cup, other than the two teams that reach the final or arguably the teams that reach the semi-finals, all the teams are home within a month. So you've still got that time between, say, July and September or July and August to still get your negotiations in because the teams are out. We're talking about World Cup, like you said, unprecedented World Cup in the middle of November. You haven't got a transfer window. You haven't got like time before the season starts to get going again. I can't remember what the exact break is, but it's something like two two weeks and they're back in action. So you're talking about trying to get players, A, out of the clubs they're in, B, whilst they're at a World Cup in a notoriously, you know, uh, how can I put this diplomatically, um, a country with questionable situations going on, shall we say. In other words, you know, some agents or I would imagine some players might have trouble negotiating in and out in, in, the, in a country of that regard. I don't know what their rulings are over there, but I imagine certain deals can't be done or situations can't be uh, can't be sorted out over there. So they might have to come back to Europe to get deals done. It's it's a bit of a minefield, and and all all the while you're trying to do that mid season. And I mean, Christ, if we if we if we go into next season waiting for the World Cup break to then get our transfer dealings done, somebody's head has to roll because. I, I think I, I think I'd like to think I speak for all of us here on the pod tonight where I say, look, um, I said it before we start recording. I'm not disappointed about this window. I'm just, you know, sorry, I'm, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. You know, it, yeah, I think we all kind of had a suspicion. And uh, I think Jeff was in the channel earlier on me and him had a chat about this. I'd rather know one than Alvaro fucking Morata. 
So, you know, it, it's kind of one of those. Like, I, I'm okay with us not bringing anybody in if Arteta does a madness and, and we end up, if we end up in the top six, it's still, it's still a positive because we're higher than last year. The slight disappointment that I have is that I think fourth is really open. I really do. Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City are gone, I think. Well, even Chelsea even. But yeah. I, I, I think there is an opening for fourth. And I think if we did just put our put our foot out there and said, right, let's make some signings this January, we could have secured that. But fine, if they're willing to take it, three-year process, whatever, fine. But you, you've got to get those deals done quick in the summer. And we need that transition time. And especially if we're going to go after the, the big number nine, you you can't be Fernando Torresing it with Chelsea. You can't be buying a player or Lukaku. Ah, I had to throw that one in. But you, you know you, you can't be signing a, a big name striker who's still struggling to tie his bootlaces in in November. You need somebody in the door in early May or late May, ready for preseason to go. So I, I think the World Cup only makes that business a whole lot more difficult. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with Chris on that one in terms of who can come in. I think the struggle would be, for me, would be the second choice striker that I think we need to also bring in as well. Is who is that going to be? Is it going to be someone who, you know, is a first choice for a lesser nation, or is it just somebody with no chance of making their World Cup squad from a larger nation? It's someone like, um, so it's like Ben Yedder from. French striker probably doesn't freak the French national team for the World Cup with everybody else fit and available. I think we might sneak in there, but uh, it's that it's that kind of player. Are you looking at someone like that to come in as second choice, or is it a youngster who, um, you know, is, it will take the hunger level of it and knowing that they'll be playing European football, hopefully, uh, next season. There's be plenty of games for them to get minutes if we finish where we should. Um, but yeah, as, as Chris has said, it's going to be in isolation. This window looks a disaster, but I always had that feeling in the back of my mind that you could see that we were going to be unfazed and we were going to be completely clinical in this window. What we saw from the last window as well was they weren't going by speculation or, going by these should be big names. The Ramsdale signing shows it, you know, the outrage and the emotion from the Arsenal fan base, including a lot of us here about why are we putting that much money into Aaron Ramsdale? If we were running the club, we would have bought somebody else and we wouldn't even seen maybe the, the level of performance that we would have seen from Ramsdale. I think I probably wanted Wojciech Chesney to come back at that point And, uh, would I have Chesney or would I have Ramsdale now? I think that's a very different question. Um, I think that's the that's the big kind of thing that we got to, that um, we got to kind of step aside and just look at it holistically. That in the summer, if we then get that number nine, I don't think the number nine getting them six months later changes where we finish in the table there's very little in terms of what they need to bring to the team and how inconsistent everybody else is as well. Um, Chris, you brought Chelsea into it and then immediately realized that you've got to dismiss them because they've lost more games than Brighton this season. Um, Cause I can throw that one in as a nice little stat. Um, there's only two teams that have lost more games uh, or lost fewer games than Brighton this season, but that shows how inconsistent the top teams are right now that, 
United, they still brought in a new manager, but they've got a lot of things going on at that club right now. They're rather unstable. So they're not a shoe in for you know third or fourth. Spurs, we've got to play them. We're going to, you know, they might think that we ran away from that game. I think there's extra fuel to the fire um, and extra motivation for us in that game as well. Um, they've got a lot harder runs than we'd necessarily do um, because of how fixtures have fallen and where we've got to play our difficult games. Um, they've both got to play Liverpool and City. I don't think we do now for the rest of the season. Um so there's going to be teams dropping points left, right and centre. So I don't think it was a given that you bring in a, a striker. They could equally only return five goals for us and we finish up eighth. Um, there's that kind of side of the coin as well. Um, we've seen that this team is has put in performances that are good enough for us to be top four. And looking at the calendar year from last calendar year, how well we performed. I'm pretty sure we were in the top four then. So this group of players is good enough for that league position. It's just a case of making sure that on our day, I don't think bringing in that marquee signing, overpaying and maybe getting that decision wrong based on player availability. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's Maratta or Bust. I think we'd all take Bust right now, especially if that then means <laughs> someone like Isaac um, or... Dominic Calvert-Lewin, somebody like that coming in in the summer, I think we'd all sit back and go, fine. Um, you can see why, because those were the kind of players that weren't moving in the window. But um, I think I've rambled on long enough now to pass it to Simon. <laughs> Just to echo everything you guys say, I think um, I think the World Cup, we've already seen a bit of the impact of what the World Cup's going to have from um, you know, Bern Leno wanting to move on Possibly this uh, January was debating going. Um, definitely, you know, moving on in the summer, obviously with a new goalkeeper going because he wants to be in that that Germany squad. And sometimes it can work negatively for you because you've got players you want to want to leave. But sometimes it can be a bonus if there's a player you're looking at who you're going to be playing and isn't going to be playing at his club. You can get deals done quickly. So yeah, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting one. And I think just wrapping up the, the chat we've had on the window. Uh, I think you're fine with pretty much all supporters that they will take a quiet January window like this, shedding dead words, getting your ducks in a row, if you execute in the summer. I think if the summer isn't executed to what people are now expecting, um, then I think um, there'll be certainly a not... <laughs> Eddie would be wise to stay off Twitter, I think. Uh, there'll be a fair few memes flying around, I would suspect. <laughs> definitely I, I, I definitely agree with um, all of you I think the World Cup coming so fast and so quick I think that there'll be a lot of teams or a lot of players onto the agents saying you know I think I've got a chance of making the World Cup squad I want to go to a, a club where no club should always guarantee any player first team football but they did almost want to you know that slight promise of yeah you'll start every game you'll definitely do that and I think Teams knowing that Arsenal need a striker, they know that Bamang is gone, they know that Lacazette potentially could leave, they know that Eddie and Ketia is going to leave. And even if he stays, he's not going to be Arsenal's number one striker. No, there's no way in hell that's going to happen. So I think as long as Arsenal do their business, I guess, early on the quiet, I mean, we know that 
if Isaac is our target, we know that he has a release clause. We know that he's not going to go for less than that release clause. So if, if he's the target, then we have to pay that money. And I guess that's an easy, as long as he agrees personal terms of us, that's an easy buy. I think obviously you are, surely Edu and um, Arteta and his team are looking at players thinking, okay, this is who we want. We need to go for these targets, but I still, maybe you lot disagree with me. I really do think it depends on whether we have European football next season. I mean, we didn't have a problem bringing in some players this season, but I think next season is going to be just that little bit harder because if Arsenal don't make Europe this season, when does that happen? I mean, again, trying to get back into the Champions League, I think has proved harder than anybody would have thought. You know, we are fighting. Inconsistency is a key, but we are fighting the likes of West Ham. We are fighting the likes of uh, Manchester United. We are fighting the likes of... I'm going to put Chelsea in that squad because I don't think Chelsea are a sure thing. And Spurs, unfortunately. Um, and then if they, if they stay up, we've also got the added pressure of competing with Newcastle um, for players... If they can, they can just throw money at players, and they're gonna, <laughs> they are gonna be able to compete with the likes of Arsenal, Man United, and Chelsea for players. Because if a player doesn't show any loyalty and is only playing for money, if Newcastle will pay this player, I don't know, uh, a million a month, it's something stupid like that. I mean. Chris will tell you about Bruno. I'm sure he's Bruno's almost tripled his wages, like going to Newcastle. What player is going to turn that down, irrespective of the country he's leaving? If a player can triple their wages to go and play football in another country, they're going to do that. Four so, times as much. He's gone four times as much as he's on at Leon. He's gone at four, four, four times as much as his salary at Leon. Plus bonuses. Yeah, so there you go. Anyway, we've rambled on long enough. Um, Josh, I'm going to pass it yep. to you to ask listener questions. I will. Uh, I'm going to go to the ones from Twitter first because, um, you know, sometimes we've got... Um you know, some people interact with us on Twitter when we put tweets out. Not all the time, though, Carl, right? It can be a lonely place at us, out there for us when we're tweeting from the pod account. Um, well, the first, first one, I will go for... Um, yeah, actually, Carl... I don't think you went through um, about Pepe. This is from Mike Hertz. Um, will Pepe get more minutes or is simply a player that the club weren't able to move on in January and he'll sit on the bench for the rest of the season? I think he will. I think we've learned that we can't run Saka into the ground anymore. He has to get minutes. Um, there's going to be rotation because is Eddie good enough to play up front? No. Um, will Lacazette be able to last 90 minutes debatable so like I said Chris was that sort of put Pepe on just for a bit of organised chaos and he doesn't know what he could do so I think he will and I think hopefully Arteta has seen what he can do in the upper concurrent nations he's watched those games and thought oh if you can do that there why can't you do that for us so I think he will get more minutes sweet uh, question for you, Simon, from Olive Queen. Um, anything you got on the inside scoop from Jack Wilshire? Um, you know, makes sense to utilise him, but there's no word coming out. 
what's the uh, situation? Um, I think it's pretty clear that he, while he's at Arsenal, his role is just going to be coaching and working with the with the youngsters. Um, you know, if you were going to sign him, the time to do it was when there was a you know midfield crisis, and um, it was put to Arteta in one of the press conferences that you know you've got a pretty obvious solution rating what you know sitting right there for you and Arteta pretty you know bluntly or you know directly just said you know it's pretty clear what Jack was brought here to do so um yeah I think I, I personally think he might just end up maybe at the end of season becoming a full-time youth coach there uh a lot of the young players you can see from Instagram absolutely love working with him um you know he's an academy boy he can talk speak to them all about the journeys they've gone through and the fact that we've gone all the way through January and no clubs have come in for him um might just be the sign for him to start looking at the next stage of his career which is sad but um I think he's probably found quite a nice role at Arsenal and one that suits him and the club I think yeah, I think there's also a lot of top-level managers that are now... Well, there's two Germans I can think of at the top of my head that uh, careers were curtailed early by injury and went on to have quite pretty good coaching careers um, in yeah, Nagelsmann and uh, Tommy Tickles. Of, uh, and the, yeah. and the, thing with, the thing with Jack as well is it's a lovely thought until it happens and it goes wrong. It's a lovely, mm. it's a lovely idea and I love the principle of it and, you know... It's one of those, if you could say to me, he'll come in and he'll be fully fit um, and he'll play even 10 games, you know, or be involved in 10 games, whatever, then you go, great. But the minute you sign him and he has an injury or, you know, he has a, like that moment, I'll never forget when he went to Bournemouth and he got sent off in the early on and, and all the Bournemouth fans just went, oh, what's the point? Like, you know, he can't even control his temper at, at our level. We brought in this marquee player and he's let everybody down. And that's the problem. And with our fan base, um, as level-headed as they are, um, you can just imagine, can't you? You know, it, it, it would all be like, oh, we love Jack. Jack's great. And then he does something, you know, maybe a bit questionable or the old Jack comes out because he's a fiery lad. You know, he's, he's a passionate player. Or, as I say, he gets injured, which is no fault of his own. And then everyone will turn. Oh, why do we waste our fucking money? And it's another player we'd have on our books that we'd have to then move on. Unless you sign him on a pay-as-you-play, of course. So... Like Simon said, I think I think he's a really good influence to have around the squad. I think he's matured a lot as well yeah, over his time. He, he seems like a guy who's really matured and and may, maybe has sort of got to that point in his career and thought, cool, I was running England's midfield and then I couldn't get in West Ham's team and then I ended up at Bournemouth and, and now I'm back training with a club who, you know, I love, but really have done me a favour here. It's not like we reached out to him and said, we would like you to be part of our team behind the scenes. We reached out to him and said, if you would like somewhere to train, we're here for you. So it's almost a bit of a, you know, um, sort of helping helping an old mate out rather than an actual professional interest. But I think he'd be great as part of our coaching staff, especially because what? How old is that Carlos? What's his name? The young coach we've got. Yeah, they're in the twenties as well. I think him, him and Molina are both young coaches. So yeah, how good would it be to have a proper Arsenal man? You know, but also because yeah. I, I often think like if you. Like Roy Hodgson went to Watford, nothing against Uncle Roy. We all love him. Of course we do. But could you imagine Uncle Roy with a couple of, you know, 30-something coaches? It's two different genres of football, isn't it? Mm. Like Neil Warnock with a, you know, an up-and-coming manager. It wouldn't be the same. Look at Wayne Rooney's gone into Derby. His assistant's Liam Rossini. Similar age, similar background, similar careers. Um, Obviously not at such a level. But 
I, I think that if Arteta had the opportunity to to build around sort of players that have been there and done it and have that, <laughs> here we go, Arsenal DNA, I think he'd be I think he'd be mad not to not to have Jack as a proper coach. But yeah, bringing him back as a player, I just think the idea is lovely, but the actual sort of realism of it is just not really there, is it? That's me to say that. It doesn't seem sensible on a lot of levels, um, yeah. especially as you mentioned. It's not like bringing Henri back um, no. because Henri didn't have the injury issues. And uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, Chris, whilst you were there, uh, a question from Miko. Uh, I think you've answered the first part about a midterm report on Saliba, but the other part of it, which is going to be the interesting mix, we, you know, the window has just. Um, not necessarily slammed, um, just a swung closed. Um, but some thoughts on any league on forwards that we should be looking at the summer. I think you mentioned one already um, whose name escapes me. And I'm sure there was another that was linked to Palace. Uh, uh, was it a Wren from Wren? Reims. Reims. Rhymes. How do you say Are we talking a Katike, as Simon mentioned earlier on? Maybe. Is he, the one at, is he the one at Reims? Uh, Rafs, yes. Yeah. uncultured swine uh yes yeah yeah not not reams rafs uh yes yeah hugo ekatike is is um i was talking to simon about him he's a young uh, french striker 21 i believe 20 maybe 22 now but he's young um can play both both uh, as a wide striker and as a center forward he's he's got the sort of the anelka type of style about him and, and not the anelka that that we had at his peak i'm talking the raw anelka that arrived from psg he's got that kind of wiry body frame quick in and out um, moves across the front line really well and he's a player who can play on the shoulder so you can put a ball over the top you're running behind but he's also quite a, for his age he's quite a physical player and uh, he holds the ball up quite well not sort of Giroud type of style but he's the player you can play into feet or you can play in behind he isn't just one dimensional I'm really surprised that more clubs didn't have a have a go at him I'm, I'm very pleased that he turned down Newcastle He's, uh, he's he's from good stock as well. He chose to stay at Rams, as Simon alluded to earlier on. The deal was on the table. Rams were were happy to take the money. He wanted to stay, and he and he sort of very maturely said, "I want to see out the season with Rams and and keep the keep my team, as you said, my team in in Liga, and then we'll look again." And I think that's a really mature outlook. Um, so he yeah, he's one I would love, but I I I fear that he'll get poached by. A lesser club. Um, if he goes to Burnley, I swear to God. Uh, anyway, other than that, the obvious names: Jonathan David at, at Lille is is obviously doing the rounds. Um, big fan. It would make our Canadian chums very happy. It would make me very happy. Uh, he he's come on big time this season. He, he he struggled to find his feet a little bit last season. This season, he looks a different player, different animal, um, and he's he's filled out physically as well. I think he'd be an excellent pickup. Not so keen on the idea of Dembele from Leon, just because I think you're basically signing Lacazette again. Um, and I don't think that will end particularly well. <laughs> he, he's very talented, but he is he is quite a, a heavy set sort of... He is, he's not slow, but I wouldn't ex- call him explosive. Um, and I think people would, wouldn't be that blown away by that signing. I, I don't think it would really be the one. Elsewhere... There's a few names that you would get from Liga. Maro Icardi is another one that's been sort of muted. No thanks. Um, I don't think 
and if we signed Icardi, for God's sake, Simon, don't let Mrs. Simon go to any press conference. Love of God. <laughs> um, but no, he, he's a very divisive figure and I think he'll probably end up going back to Italy. So no thanks on him. And then beyond that, you're looking at mid-table fodder, I guess. There's some young sort of promising centre-forwards coming through. Uh, Callum Wendo is probably the only other one I would maybe have a sniff at. He's at Nantes. Uh, I believe he's on loan from PSG, but he's out of contract in the summer. He is. He's going to move on. But I, I think, don't quote me on this, I might Google it, but I, I believe he's got a deal in principle with a Bundesliga club. I want to say it's Frankfurt. So that might be off the table, but he would have been one I'd have had a look at because he's very talented. But barring that, I mean, you know, Milik at Marseille, it wouldn't exactly ignite anybody's... Um, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't tickle the taste buds, would it, really? So I, I, I think... Personally, we won't go to France this summer. I think we'll go quite heavy for Isak. The only other one that's just come to my mind um, that maybe you could take a look at uh, is um, Gaetan Laborde at, at uh, Rennes, purely because he, he only moved to Rennes this season. Um, he's done really, really well. He's come on leaps and bounds. He was at Montpellier previously and did a great job. And again, he's a very, he's kind of Giroud with pace, is what I'd say. Like, and, and he's got, He's good in the air. He's good technically. He's a bit uncompromising, but he gives you something different. But he has got pace and he can get in behind. And you probably get him for a good price. But again, I could see him more at Everton or that type of club than us. Um, I, I think Isak ticks a lot of boxes. And he's he's the one I'd go for if you couldn't get David. Do you know what's mad, Chris, is that you haven't mentioned the French striker that's free this season. Like, why would he not come to Arsenal? Oh, Cal- Calvin and Boppy. Yeah, yeah, he's... Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I think Killian might be slightly out of our wage and <laughs> price range. Can you can you imagine Mikel Arteta trying to, uh, trying to get him back? <laughs> that, that ain't you just get, yeah, just get Wenger back to go over uh, to yeah, slam his table again. <laughs> like dinner. Yeah. <laughs> there is suggestions that he's um, already signed for Real Madrid, which is interesting because they play each other, don't they, next week? So... Um, that there is a lot of suggestions coming out that that deal is done and that it's just a matter of time before he goes. But yeah, we we aren't getting Mbappe, I'm afraid. Sorry, sorry to upset everyone, but that's not happening. <laughs> oh, well, the one that got away, uh, the yeah. one of many. Carl, <laughs> uh, question from Josh Robinson. Um, says, as well, it's a hypothetical question. We finished top four. Tell us why. Because the other teams were shit. Excellent. Good job. <laughs> there are two ways that that question was going to be answered. Is either going to be eloquent or just like that? In all seriousness, the other teams, let's be very honest, the other teams around us have to be poor for us to get there. I, I don't have a lot of faith in our striking options. I really don't. And goals win games. I think the players that play behind the main striker are brilliant. You've got Saka, Martinelli, um, Smith or Odegaard brilliant and I know I don't want you to roll your eyes Chris but is Lacazette good enough to, to lead our line probably not no, as a striker but the not, thing is, I agree with you not, so not what, what you're looking at is I want my striker to be a striker and I feel like there are other occasions where Lacazette plays everywhere but up front I sometimes want you to be like, no, you don't need to track back. You don't need to run. Don't worry about that. You play up front. I mean, 
you know, we laugh at this, but I think there is a, a truth to it where he doesn't la- he can't last the whole 90 minutes. And maybe he needed this break. Maybe this break, going to Dubai and not playing for, I mean, we don't play until, what, the 12th of February, I want to say? Is our next game against Wolves or something like uh, that? It's the 10th of February. Sorry, it's the 10th of February. So Thursday night. We have a, we've had a very, very long break. And I'm hoping that all the players come back rejuvenated. And I'm not expecting, like I said, to come back and be prime Ronaldo, like original Ronaldo, not this one at night. But, um, and I want him to do that. But maybe we are going to have to depend on other teams around us not to be so good. And for us, when we drop City points against City teams where we should have won and we don't because we create loads of chances, but we just don't have someone to put the ball in the back of the net. I think our defence, as long as Tommy Yasu's back, which makes me a bit worried. I haven't seen Tommy Yasu in any training pitches in Dubai. I don't know if anyone else has. I don't know if he's even in Dubai. I don't know if he's not fit. I don't know if I have no idea. But um, he's a big part of the way we play, playing out uh, from the back. And I'm just hoping that we just have the consistency to go into top four. Top four is there for the taking. Like you've all, like all three of you have said, it is absolutely there for the taking. Dare I even say third place because I still don't think Chelsea are that consistent. Um, so, you know, the last, what, 18, 19 games is going to be very interesting in this league, I think, especially with other teams playing in Europe as well. But that is going to be, take a toll on teams as well. Yeah, I, I think 10... 10 wins is all we really need, I think, to get us into top four. I don't think anyone else is putting together a run better than that, especially we've got games in hand on teams above us as well um, that would put us into top four positions. So I should continue with the questions. Uh, Simon, one from Phil Macker. Um, Are our transfer dealings truly dreadful or are we just all a bit close to it and other clubs are just as bad? I mean, um, what, for one example, it's not exactly like your chairman's walking into the room with the same chairman and switching £7 million and getting a striker back for it. <clears throat> Tony Bloom. <laughs> well, I mean, it didn't, I, don't, I looked at the window um, and everyone loves, loves to go, oh, who won the window? And I don't think many clubs really had good transfer windows other than, uh, you know, I thought Villas was pretty good in terms of the players they got out and who they got in. Um, Newcastle's was okay, given the situation they're in. You know, if you're in a relegation battle and you can sign, you know, a Brazil international, um, a pretty decent uh, you know, right-back who's playing in the Champions League final, a decent Dan Burn, I think it's a pretty good centre-back. But those are two clubs with, you know, vastly rich owners one of them basically a country um, and, you know, Villa with a new manager who they're backing relentlessly. Other than that, I didn't really look at anyone and go, oh, they've had an amazing window. Liverpool got Diaz in, which is good uh, for them. Um, Spurs just felt like Pratchetty went into his old phone book and signed two players that he'd signed before for his old club. So, yeah, I just don't think it was a good window for anyone really. And as we touched on before, I think Arsenal were better as we've seen from the spate of contract terminations, to not spend rather than spend badly. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. Um, everyone seems to be a bit smarter, which I think covers Julian's question as well. The thinking: um, Have we got any financial issues, or are we just being smart? So, um, 
I mean, the only one that made me wonder about financial issues and FFP or anything like that was the Chambers one because he was going for free anyway. So I don't know whether there was something like, uh, and they obviously didn't take up the option, whether they thought, oh, we need to try and you know save a bit off the wage bill here. Chambers, we can get him out the door quickly. I don't know. I, I've not heard that there is a case, but um, I think looking at the, you know, the pretty mass exodus, there's an argument for to someone to say, you know, maybe there was a bit of financial issues. We're all just going to have to inevitably wait for Swiss Ramble to do a huge Twitter thread <laughs> and explain that, yes, there is a financial issue. Fair. Um, so, yeah, I think it was just, yeah, I thought it was more us being smart than us being stupid with money. Um, we're going to go to next. Uh, Chris, do you watch any Portuguese football? Sorry, I was just just couldn't find the unmute button there. A little bit, a little bit, not not avidly, but. Do you know any more about Darwin Nunes than I do from Brighton trying to sign him last summer? This is the Benfica chap, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, uh, I, I know. I know enough. I know enough to think that he's very very talented. My slight concern is how many players have you seen come out of the Liganos who have ultimately not quite done it? Do you know what I mean? There's a difference like Bruno between... Like a... <laughs> well, I know I our mean... feeling on Bruno Fernandes. It's, it's for us, we don't think he's made it here. But The, the one, I, the one I'm scarred otherwise. by is Jackson Martinez, who was at Porto, mm. wasn't he? And he was mm. brilliant. And then he, he came and it just went absolutely off a cliff. I think he ended up in China selling rugs or something. Mm. I don't know. But um Oscar Oscar yeah. Cardozo was another wasn't it? Cardozo mm. banging uh, goals in. Yeah, exactly. It's a, li- it's a little bit like the Eredivisie Portuguese league in that, you know, like do you remember Jan Vanegor of Hesslink and uh, mm. and yeah, Van Hoydonk but you know that they uh, Kesman. Remember him? Christ. Yeah. But yeah, Pats, league, Pats league and Pats well. and Dacca. I mean Pats and Dacca, to be fair is technically very good. But yeah, I I don't I think the I think the player the player has a lot of upsides. Um, I just I just think it's a bit risky because I think they're talking sixty million euros or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a hell of a gamble a of on a player who's I think and he's only played at Benfica. I think I'm right in saying. So it's not like he's got mm-hmm. any European experience. Um, yeah. And th- there's just too many players who've come out of Portugal. Not necessarily players, strikers that have come out of Portugal that I, I just don't really think have done it. I mean, Wolves. What Fabio Fabio Silva, prime example. Yeah. Kid's got talent, but has he really done anything to wrap up the the amount of money that he spent? Not really. So I I personally would rather spend that sixty million on a yeah. You, know, you look at Isak; he's a full international, played in a, a top league, proven records. You know, even David same. So I think it's a bit too much of a gamble unless he's on the cheap. So not for me, thank you, Pedro. Yeah. Cool. Uh, right, I think we have got some tight timings this evening. We've got to make sure Simon gets his dinner, otherwise who knows <laughs> what will happen. Um, uh, so quickly to Terence, uh, we're not going through Chelsea's bins anymore. Um, it's not for us. Um, and sorry, Fempster and Matthew and Chris, we didn't get to your questions, but Carl, back to you. Um, yeah, thank you, both of you, or all of three of you, um, Chris, we don't see Chris very often. I think we need to get Chris back on. His views are always more welcome. And I think everyone else misses you, uh, Chris. So 
Forget about French football. Come back to ABW. We miss you. <laughs> I, I, I miss me. No, it's, it's, it's honestly nothing personal, guys. I, I love you all to bits. And uh, it always makes me it makes me chuckle when people go in the chat. They're like, oh, he's out of retirement. I'm not retired. I'm not that old. I have turned 39, though, since the last stream or since the last podded. So I am a year older, quite closer to 40. But... No, it's just just work. I'm um, for those of you who don't know, I'm I'm on a, a sort of a, a fixed term contract with my employer, who shall remain nameless. So I'm just working my balls off to try and get myself a permanent job, which hopefully I'll hear a bit more about next month. So once that's a bit more clear, I might be a little bit more available. But at the moment, it's just all go. But I'm still here, and uh, I told Danny I couldn't do January, but I said as soon as I'm back in February, I'll be on and. February the 2nd, here I am. Thank you, Danny, for that lovely message scrolling across the bottom. But uh, lovely to uh, be in your company, gentlemen. So thank you, as always. And Simon, the best journalist that we know, better than some uh, other journalists who are going to remain nameless, one that I truly don't like. He works for the Daily Mirror. Um, John Cross. <coughs> no, no, no. I'm not saying what? Who, but, Sorry. Um, <laughs> um, Simon, it's always nice to see you and we need to get you and Andrew back on. Andrew's dodging me because he knows that um, I will mess up his journey. I don't care if he's moved, I will still mess up his journey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that Danny's put up that terrifying photo of me there, um, which <laughs> is not the reason I've not been on the pod because I had that horrible tash, but no. No, thank you for having me on. Um, whenever I can get on, I will try and try and be on. Um, let's hope next time I speak, Arsenal are in the midst of a winning run and Lacazette is on, is on fire. I mean, you probably got more chance of quitting Um <laughs> French League is a farmer league, but then that happening. But you know, uh, stranger things have happened. But anyway, uh, everyone, thank you for tuning in. This has been a Burkamp Wonderland. Doing this like me. Uh, Fuck you, Carl. I did. I thought you first. <laughs> you were the first person I thanked, Josh. But Josh, you're like Danny. You're all, you have to be here. You're like Danny. I don't. I could be on Highbury squad. Fuck you all. I'm going. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, you, you are the second most important person to the Remember, you're Danny's favourite, so that's always. He's on Cronky money. He can be. He can be bought by anyone. He's, he's oh, like yeah, a mercenary at this That's stage. fine. You'll see me next week. I'll be in a. Uh, I'll be in a Bengals jersey instead. I don't care. Oh God! <laughs> LA Rams. Oh, Danny's got, hasn't, hasn't Danny got a surprise for all um, something coming up? Which I don't know if we can mention. We won't mention it yet. But I, I uh, don't sure trust. I don't trust Danny in surprises. It usually results in pictures in bathtubs. I'm not sure I want any part of that. To be honest, I still have nightmares about that picture. Still, <laughs> this this, uh, Thank God for that sponge. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> On that note, Josh. You're like the furniture. You're always here. You have to be thank, here. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you are the glue that holds it together, not Danny. Danny's a shit. Anyway, <laughs> this has been a Burkhart Monday last all podcast. Thank you for listening. And until next time, see you later. As soon as I scored that goal, I was fucking livid. Splendid business. Get down, dog.